Balls Knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 422.5. It's a bit of a misnomer. This is a full two-hour program with a first free hour and a member hour. We called it 0.5 because we wanted to get it out more quickly than the than the stacking order would have. We, we would have had to wait about three weeks to post this had we not called it 422.5. Jason Lingren is with me and by popular demand, Fortune de Saint Germain. What we're going to do here is try to lay down some ideas about homeopathy that can help individuals. Uh, my point of view, I, I was already whole hog into, into homeopathy. Uh, where I am now is my mind is blown. And we'll get into these things. Welcome, Jason. And a hot and humid good morning it is. It's hot and humid here too, but let's make the most of our time. Welcome, Fortune. Ah, good afternoon, everyone. So... I'll start right now. You have complete. I, I was already all about homeopathy, and you have completely cemented my view for all time. It's mind blowing what I've learned from you in the last, I don't know, two three months, maybe. Well, I thank you, and you've been a very good student too. So you you've been a patient and a student, and uh, you ask questions uh, uh, as an eager, curious student, and why I like you even more is because you ask questions that nobody else has. Uh, you had my attention from the moment you responded to my request for an alchemist so many shows ago, but I'll lay on the table one of the big reasons we're doing this show. In this world, there are options if you have something wrong with you. And what I accept is correct is the one option I am now more familiar with fixes you, and then you are fixed. The other options, not so much. And that has to do with chemicals and drugs. So before I start, I almost forgot to mention that Fortune has a book on Amazon. And Fortune, will you please tell everyone what name it is published under? Well, some of your uh, listeners found a forgotten book from long ago, and it's called The Twelve Divine Virtues, and by fortune, namaste to Saint Germain, and this is for people who have asked about forms. It's rudimentary about alchemy and chakras and meditation, so this is a very, very good, very inexpensive book and a starting place, and thank you to whoever looked this up and found it, because this was forgotten on our end. And I just say to everybody, because we have done alchemical episodes, that uh, we remember the credo of the third dimension. Love God with all your heart, serve selflessly, and be all you can be. And uh, now through Crow, and some of the uh, listeners uh, who found this book, thank you. And by request, we are posting this so any of you who would like it may order. All right, Fortune, let's jump straight into the definition of homeopathy or homeopathy. The definition of homeopathy was invented by the first known uh, and one of the greatest doctors of all times, first known homeopath and greatest doctors of all times, Hippocrates. Hippocrates was a homeopath, so he said, like cures like, similia similibus curentur, uh, the law of similars. And uh, we call this microdosing, 
And homeopathy treats the, uh, does not treat symptoms, which of course are alleviated because homeopathy treats the causes. And once you're done with the job, you don't need the remedy anymore. So uh, Hippocrates, way, way back, was a homeopath and he used dilutions. And the more you dilute, each time you dilute something and you vibrate it, it goes up a potency and becomes stronger. So I know this sounds contrary to the world we live in, where you dilute and it becomes stronger. But when you take something like arsenic and you make a homeopathic out of it, it becomes arsenicum. And each time you dilute, it becomes stronger. So there are X dilutions, meaning single dilutions. There is C dilutions by hundreds. There is M dilutions by thousands. And LM, uh, much higher dilutions uh, in the hundreds of thousands. And when we talk about the original principles of homeopathy, a homeopathic remedy is made from a tincture. So it could be tincture of arsenic, and you can buy arsenicum over any counter as a homeopathic remedy. Homeopathy, you don't need a prescription for, and there are no side effects. So when you go to the homeopathic pharmacy, you can buy, let's say, sulfur in homeopathic form. And uh, if something in the raw form, let's say you take arsenic and it gives you signs of poisoning, when you take arsenicum in homeopathic form, it will antidote what the actual signs are. So we make homeopathics out of everything. You can make a homeopathic out of blood. You can make a homeopathic out of your own urine. You can make a homeopathic out of arsenic. You can make a homeopathic out of sulfur. Uh, and they are manufacturing in the world right now uh, what began as a few hundred remedies when the father of the science, Hahnemann, uh, rediscovered it. Uh, is now up to over 20,000 remedies. There you go. All right. So there's a couple things. As you describe the dilution again, I always think of every time you tell me about it, you're, you're fighting fire with fire, the, the cliche to fight fire with fire, like with like. But can we talk a minute about the dilutions? Because you know me, I'm interested in numbers um, because people abuse them, which means one thing, but they occur in nature in a way. While the numbers aren't actually occurring in nature, the quantity of what is occurring could be numbered by us. So one dilution is one to nine. And I love that because I view nature's nine as a completion. And if it's one in nine, it's perfection, 10. And can we talk about dilution for a minute? Well, you would take the tincture and let's say the tincture is valerian root. Uh, and you take the mother tincture and you combine it with a raw solution of 90% distilled water, 10% uh, raw alcohol, and you will combine that with one part mother tincture to nine parts of uh, the uh, alcohol uh, distilled water solution, and then you vibrate. Kahneman said you succuss, meaning bang it against your hand, but he did not to enliven the potency, but he did not have the vibrator at that time. I vibrate. And you vibrate, and that becomes 1x. And then when you do the same method over again, that's 2x. And you can vibrate for as much as you want because the water alcohol solution has an imprint on it. It's vibrational medicine. 
So we are talking now about the closest thing to alchemy. And when they've put a homeopathic remedy under an MRI, they do find an energy in the remedy. So even when you go past Avogadro's number, which I think is 23 dilutions, it says there will be nothing left of the original in it. And that's not true. Uh, you can go up much higher, uh, above 80 or maybe 100 dilutions, and there will be something of the original left in it. So because I have diluted, and I know that there was something of the original left, but it doesn't matter because each time you dilute and vibrate, you have a new potency. And if you put it under an MRI, it does show energy in the remedy. So for everybody listening, we've talked about cell salts in the past. And if you've ordered uh, the cell salts, you always notice it says whatever cell salt it is times three, then it'll say times six, or there will be different numbers. But what's confusing or has been confusing to a lot of people, the lower the number, the more potent. And now you know why. Um, it's basically the same idea. It's been diluted fewer times. But if you're putting an MRI on something that's been diluted so many times, is this going to relate to the idea of Emoto's water having a memory or liquids having a memory? Is that what's going on? I would say yes. And so that would maintain that not only whatever it was you were working with has put something in the water, but the skill of the practitioner making it, uh, his, his intention is going in. In other words, someone who's very advanced has the ability to embed more intention into that liquid. That is correct. All right. So let's uh, keep moving. I want to, uh, before we get to the end of hour one, I want to do a few of the simple remedies. I just don't want to run out of time. So Rose, please make sure I have 15 or 20 minutes because I'm not paying attention to the clock. Can we get into the history of homeopathy? Well, we go from what becomes forgotten. People had forgotten that Hippocrates was a homeopath and that used all sorts of herbs and dilutions and who knows what else, uh, because much of this has been forgotten, and we all love stories about the great library of Alexandria, which was a Greek library mainly. So who knows what was in that library in terms of medical science that has been lost. But during the Middle Ages, we come to Paracelsus, also known as Bombast, who experimented with all different sorts of herbs and uh, uh, we put in quotes, alchemical techniques and herbology, uh, the rebirth of sciences from the Renaissance. And after our friend Paracelsus, we come to Samuel Hahnemann, 1755 to 1843, the father of our science or modern homeopathy. And he had known St. Germain, the original alchemist, and they talked about the magical uh, solution and dilutions. And uh, Dr. Hahnemann uh, had his Sincona provings. That was his first medical experiments where Sincona bark makes quinine. And he saw that people who, um, when he took the Sincona bark, it gave him the six signs of malaria. And then when he diluted the Sincona bark, he started realizing that Sincona bark in homeopathic form would help with malaria. And that was the birth of the science, uh, Hahnemann's provings with Sincona. And then he had done many, many other dilutions and working with uh, remedies and started treating patients at that time. 
He wrote the Organon in 1810, which was his uh, groundbreaking work where he talked about the five miasms, uh, I guess, which were hereditary dispositions. He spoke of the vital essence, where the life force, which we know as the chi, or if you want to go back to ancient Egypt, the ka, and that homeopathy would stimulate the life force and uh, stimulate the immune system to act where it was needed and give the body the kick to heal itself. So Dr. Hahnemann was a very, very amazing pioneer. And there are hospitals and institutions named after him to this very day all over the world. And then he realized, because of what he called the picture, the remedy picture, the range of action, because they did not have blood tests in those days in the late 17, early 1800s, he would ask patients a list of questions, which is known as repertorization, classical homeopathy. And this remedy, if you answered questions, do you sleep on your right or left side? Do you like cold or hot? What is your general symptoms? And he would have uh, related it to personality types and constitutions and also wanted to take into um, consideration the five miasms. And he termed those Sora, uh, syphilinum, tuberculinum, and of course the miasm of syphilis, a hereditary disposition because that was big at that time. So he said the five miasms, but there are more than five miasms. And homeopathy helps the cells release what is uh, in the body and, and plaguing it. So this is also cellular medicine. And after Hahnemann, there were many, many other people who followed in his footsteps. And Dr. Hahnemann uh, used the single remedy. He used his repertorization charts because they did not have blood tests. They did not have scans. And he did change the potency and remedies often, sometimes daily. And uh, he was a very good businessman as well. So uh, his first remedies, many of them that he used were called the constitutional remedies that went to certain personality types of the patients. And in homeopathy today, there were three forms of homeopathy. The classicalists practice the single remedy. The pluralists use sometimes different remedies on different days and different potencies. And then there's polypharmacy, which when you go and buy a homeopathic in the store for flu, you'll have about seven or eight remedies in there at one time, like a shotgun effect, knowing that one of them will help. So, uh, and they basically say that the uh, lower potencies, the X lower potencies are physical, and then they will go towards the C potencies of around 30C, which is 60X, which become um, mental, and then you go higher to what is emotional, and then higher over that in remedies and dilutions to what would be um, spiritual. So homeopathy also works in many, many ways with uh, the spiritual constitution of a person if you go high enough on the dilutions and those would be into the thousands. And there are people who do astral homeopathy because they want to take into uh, account your birth date, 
and not only your constitution, but your birth date and also uh, your astrology chart. But that is for a little more discussion as we go deeper into this in our interview today. So one thing that should strike anybody, I know it's, it's kicked me in the middle of the eyes as I was learning more about homeopathy. It's so peculiar or unique to the person being treated. And what do we see on the other side of the fence? Here, here's a chemical, one size fits all. Here's a shot, one size fits all. And that's always bothered me. But you opened with Paracelsus there, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but he has a famous quote that I love, but I can't remember it. It's basically something to do with no matter how noxious the weed or offensive the animal, the creator put them all here and they have a purpose and a reason. Everything here, as we discuss this on my lectures on alchemy uh, for our other shows, you're pretty close to what he said. I don't remember his exact quote, but one, as we said, there is a cure for everything on earth. Everything can be cured except mental retardation or, or mongoloidism because that is the one thing that teaches us acceptance and to love the being as it is. Now, maybe when there is a shift uh, in consciousness for the whole planet, maybe that will change. But it is that one thing uh, that cannot be cured, but everything else can be cured on this planet by either herbology or homeopathy. All right. Well, I feel I'm going down the list, Fortune, and we have famous doctors as one of the points, and I feel like you've touched on that a little. Can we go further into the famous homeopaths? Well, after Hahnemann is the next wave. Uh, in America, Constantine Herring, 1800 uh, to 1880. James Tyler Kent, 1848 to 1916. In England, J. Compton Bennett, 1840 to 1901. And um, Burnett's niece, Marge Blackie, became one of the physicians of the... Um, royal household. So she was the chief homeopathic physician to the British royal family uh, for a few decades. And J. Compton Burnett wrote some great books on homeopathy. Constantine Herring and Kent are early pioneers that wrote extensively, just as Hahnemann did, about their experiments and the provings. And you give the proving It means you give the homeopathic remedy when you first work with it to a number of patients and their patients that are well. And then you give the homeopathic remedy to them and you ask them what feelings and symptoms it elicits. So these are healthy patients that do not need the remedy. And then that is how we determine what the range of the homeopathic action is. It can be 10 or 100 different patients. And uh, many people, uh, the doctors, the originals, Tyler Kent, uh, Herring, Burnett, they did the provings. So uh, we know that opium in homeopathic formula, the range of it is breathing and uh, the nervous system. Sulfur is a skin remedy. Uh, Sulfur, there's been more written about any other homeopathic remedy Sulfur is the most written about remedy, and you'll find pages upon pages of that. So these were our great pioneers in the eight, the late eighteen, the eighteen hundreds, going into the very early nineteen hundreds, and then we come to the twentieth century. Doctor Royal Copeland, eighteen sixty-eight 
1938 in the United States. Senator, health commissioner, and he was the man who made uh, the home HPUS, homeopathic pharmacopoeia of the United States in the 1930s. He passed a law by Congress that homeopathy would be forever legal in the United States and you would be able to get this over the counter. So Dr. Royal Copeland was a great homeopath and a great champion of it. And he, being health commissioner and a senator, he had a lot of political clout to make sure that homeopathy would be forever legal and accessible to the people of America. Uh, there was Elizabeth Wright Hubbard, 1896 to 1967. She practiced mainly in the Boston, New York area, and she made house calls in a Rolls Royce. There was Marion Rude Bell, 1848 to 1995, and she practiced up until the time she died. She was in Michigan. She was one of the first women doctors ever admitted to the college that she had gone to. There was Donald Forbester in England, 1902 to 1989. He was a director at the British Homeopathic, uh, the London Homeopathic Hospital. And as I describe these people, it should be known that there were homeopathic hospitals all over the world. There were homeopathic insane asylums. There were teaching institutions. There were homeopathic pharmacies. Homeopaths outnumbered the allopaths, meaning synthetic medicine. They commanded better price, better, better fees, and they were much more respected. And on top of it, uh, their patients got better. And then we come into the 20th century to something that is most extraordinary to a man named Sir John Weir. And who was Sir John Weir? He started as a physician in the royal household. Now, in the royal household of England, there are many physicians. He was a homeopath. He was a very well-trained MD. And as he starts out for 18 years, he was the assistant to Sir Dawson, Dr. Sir Dawson Pitt, of P the Viscount of Penn. And who was this man? He was the head of the royal household and the chief physician of the British Empire. So Sir Dawson of Penn leaves the royal family in 1936. And for the next 35 years till his death, Sir John Weir is the head physician of the royal household, treating many generations uh, with homeopathy. And to be even more fantastic, he receives the Grand Cross of the Victorian Order. And that is reserved. The Victorian Order is mainly, uh, in its lower levels, many people can be awarded. But the Grand Cross is only received by heads of state and members of the royal family. Sir John Weir received the Grand Cross of the Victorian Order, one of the two or three most decorated doctors of the 20th century head of the whole royal household, which means he oversaw about 20 other doctors. And he was a very dry man, but a very great doting doctor. And he received all of those orders for taking care of King George VI, the queen's father. And uh, the queen respected him very, very much. The current queen, as we know, who's still alive. 
And then we come to another doctor who's a great doctor uh, and homeopath who's still on the royal household, Dr. Ronald Davy. And these were our great, some of our great names and some of our great doctors. And then it brings us uh, up to uh, World War I and the Spanish flu and the great heroes of homeopathy in that era. Now, we'll break for some questions before we get into that. Okay, well, the first thing that strikes me, and I've heard accounts around what we're talking about straight from Fortune a number of times now, but what always strikes me is the royals who are pulling the strings for most of the world, are they using allopathy or are they using homeopathy? It's pretty clear they're handing out the highest awards that they have decided are the highest to a homeopath. So why would they do that? I think it's plain on the face of it. He probably cured people of some pretty scary stuff to be looked at so highly, but we're at World War I, Fortune. Is that what you just said? Well, just to give you a little heads up, Sir John Weir at the funeral of King George VI, uh, I think that was in 52, 53, that's before this queen uh, went to her coronation. When all of the royal families converged, he said, I prescribed Ignatia for five queens and three kings. And uh, as dry as he was, he was also a character. And uh, he was a very, very well-trained MD and a very, very well-trained classical uh, homeopathist. But uh, many of the heads of the royal households, people in the Vatican, uh, and very, very high-placed people take the homeopathic treatment. And they, we even send people on voyages or long trips with the homeopathic emergency kit so that if they get into trouble, they have it right then and there. Now, as we get into the nitty-gritty of things, here is where homeopathy really shows. First of all, in World War I, uh, remember, the homeopaths, the medical colleges uh, had homeopathic wings. So in order to get your medical degree, you had to sit for your homeopathic boards and your medical boards. So you were HMD, homeopathic medical doctor, and you had prescription rights. So you were sitting for two sciences in one, and then a good, good homeopath has to have his own pharmacy and know to, how to mix things up on the spot for his patients and what potency. So you have to sit for extra boards in uh, basically pharmacy. You have to know how to mix your own remedies and then give out pellets, uh, make either pellets or liquid for the patient or powder. And on top of that, we come into World War I, where the only success that was had in treating mustard gas was by the homeopathic delegations in World War I. And then we come in to what is known as the Spanish flu. And when the homeopaths come about uh, to treat the Spanish flu, Whereas everybody is dropping, the homeopaths have less than 0.05% deaths, one half of 1% deaths. And most of the homeopaths around the world only use gelsemium, which is the main remedy for flu, and brionia, which is a secondary remedy, which is not only used for flu, but it's also used for bacterial problems. 
And with those two remedies, the homeopaths had hardly any deaths in the Spanish influenza epidemic, whereas the allopaths had them dying left and right. And the only thing that the uh, allopathic community really had available in certain areas at that time to treat was aspirin to uh, suppress the inflammation and uh, to try and lower the uh, temperature of the patients. But they said to all the allopathic doctors, the nurses that had worked in both the allopathic and the homeopathic uh, institutions at the same time, they said, go to the homeopathic pharmacy or the homeopathic hospital. Their patients are living, whereas the patients in the allopathic wards were dropping like flies. Boy, you'd never hear that today, that's for sure. There's nothing that changes more than the past. That's why we study history. Uh, history can be a convenient set of lies. Napoleon said history is an agreed upon set of lies. Tolstoy said history would be a great thing if only if it were true. But these documents are out there. And uh, as allopathy started to gain the upper hand for many, many reasons, um, and aspirin was another thing because you didn't need a homeopath. So once aspirin came in, it suppressed the symptoms immediately and you didn't have to go to a doctor. You could just go get aspirin and it would suppress the symptoms of flu or cold until your body kicked in and you got better on your own. So that was something that did deal a blow to uh, the homeopathic community. But we, we have to remember that we were putting out doctors and uh, uh, unbelievable amounts of people uh, until the allopathic community formed the AMA. And we had two gigantic hospitals and universities. There was the Flower Fifth Avenue Hospital, and that was in New York City. And they commanded large, large um, fees. They gave great treatment. They had the richest people in New York City going to them, especially uh, even Father John D. Rockefeller, who was big, big on homeopathy. Uh, the, the, the one, who, the, the Rockefeller who founded the whole dynasty was a staunch supporter of homeopathy. And he wanted his university to be called Rockefeller Homeopathic University but his son and relatives won out because it was petrochemicals and petroleum medicine that took over. So Rockefeller Homeopathic University very quickly became Rockefeller University because they realized that petrochemicals were the way to go uh, because they would make such great profits at it. And we had Hahnemann, which is still in existence in Philadelphia, and it's now Hahnemann Hospital. But Hahnemann Hospital used to be a university and homeopathic hospital. And the last two hospitals that were closed were Flower Fifth Avenue and uh, Hahnemann in the late 20s, early 30s. And those were the last classes that were uh, the last classes that were graduating students. And those were the last trained great homeopaths uh, that left the science to go out into the world and carry on homeopathy through the ages until it started being, re through the decades, until it started being reborn later on. But ask some more questions, and uh, we'll talk about the Spanish flu, ask questions on the Spanish flu, and then I think we should go into what was the death knell for homeopathy, but proceed, my friend. 
so fortunate we've got a decision to make at 10 till the hour. We will have 15 minutes left in hour one. You kind of started to get into the destruction of the profession. Here you said you wanted to touch on the rebirth, but I really want to get some simple remedies into hour one. We can go a little long if needed. So there's the there's the issue. How would you like to proceed? Okay. Well, let us let us talk about the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu takes hold as the troops are leaving and going back to their home countries. So what they were infected with, they brought all over the world as uh, they were demobilized and the war ended and they went back to their home countries. So that is how the infection spread. Now, it was not a flu. A flu is not 106 temperature with blood coming out of the eyes and the body turning black and blue or any of those things or, or vomiting up blood into that respect. What happened here is very, very simple. Now, it is true that the American troops were vaccinated at Fort Riley in Kansas, and they went into Spain, where they say this started, and that where they landed the American troops, and then they called it the Spanish flu. But what it really was is when you were in the trenches, and you're living in your own feces and urine, and it's raining, the people were urinating and defecating in and beside the trenches that they fought in. And then it would rain, and all of the good stuff that had been disappearing for the past few decades, meaning that the diseases and the plagues that were disappearing as we went into clean drinking water and better sanitation and better nutrition in the cities, all of the diseases like cholera, typhus, dysentery, uh, tuberculosis, etc., were on the wane. When these soldiers went into the war, Anyone who studied war knows that soldiers would get sick on the march and die during and after battle or before there were problems with food poisoning. Well, when you're in the trenches and you're urinating in the trenches, defecating in the trenches, and then it rains and it's cold, the soldiers were bringing back all of the diseases, sometimes two or three diseases in one soldier's body that were petering out by that time in the big cities. And that's what the Spanish flu really was. Now, remember, we're also talking about a time where uh, the hospital wards, your bed was next to another bed next to another bed, and the doctors were um, getting sick themselves, and they were dying, and the nurses would say, doctor, here's another one with the same symptoms. And the doctor didn't have time, or two or three doctors didn't have time to uh, personally um, examine 500 patients in a gigantic ward. So the nurse said, here's another one with the symptoms, doctor, and they would try to suppress and get the patient better by overdosing them with aspirin. So they'd say the patient would go to bed and he would die of what the disease was. That's not a flu. And as we have to remember from our basic medical um, analogy and teachings, It's the very, very old or the very, very young that die of the flu. Young men and women and and healthy people in middle age and teenagers do not die of the flu. Very, very rare. It's the very, very old and the very, very young. So we go back to what was it really? It was a conglomeration of many things. And uh, I, I 
do not think that the numbers are really as great as they say they were worldwide, because that is a narrative that they're trying to impress upon people to believe. And it didn't last that long. So uh, they want you to believe that it was so horrendous because they're going to try to tell you that the coming things, uh, as we know what we saw in the last two years, are that serious. So we go on from there and we will just talk about what one of the big death knells was in the uh, Civil War. It was the marriage of medicine or modern pharmacy, synthetic pharmacy, basically the processing of morphine. That was the marriage of allopathy to pharmaceuticals. And that happened also with petrochemicals and petroleum medicine and what was made from it, coal and tar products. And so we start going in and the AMA and the pharmaceutical industry become married at that point. And then they form their professional organizations, the AMA. And that one of the um, main goals of the AMA was to stamp out all competing forms of medicine. And they did that very, very well. And then they had the Flexner Report. And that was also very, very damning of all competing forms of medicine, especially homeopathy. But homeopathy is now around over 200 years in its modern form. And if the science doesn't work, it's not around for that long. And on top of it, so as we move in, as the AMA gets stronger, they start closing down the homeopathic institutions because they had the upper hand. And also there was infighting among the homeopaths amongst themselves, whether it should be classical pharmacy or polypharmacy, using one single remedy or using five or six remedies in a flu remedy of low potency to cure the flu. And as we talk about the flu and remedies, now we come up to the modern homeopathic remedies for you, my dear friends, uh, that you can buy uh, in any homeopathic pharmacy and treat yourself with, such as the Recoweg formulas. And we come to the two Recoweg brothers, the two Dr. Recowegs. Uh, were two of the great homeopaths of the 20th century. They were excellently trained medical doctors with great credentials. And one brother founded Hans Heinrich Reckerweg, wrote the Materia Medicas, which are the best I've ever seen in homeopathy. And he formed the BHI-HEEL Corporation, H-E-E-L. I think they still are in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the other Dr. Rekoweg, his brother, formed the Rekoweg Company. And their name is spelled R-E-C-K-E-W-E-G. And the Dr. Rekoweg formulas that you can buy on the internet, uh, you can buy them on Amazon, eBay, or order directly from their companies, um, uh, especially the Dr. Rekoweg Corporation in Europe. Uh, are the best homeopathic formulations I have ever seen. So we come now to Recoweg formulas where you, my dear friends, can treat yourself for some very, very simple ailments, especially common cold and flu. And the Dr. Recoweg flu formula is the best I've ever seen. It's low potency. They are all inexpensive, and it will knock the flu out of you within a few hours. 
All right, let me jump. Let me jump in here. What Fortune has just told you is a big damn deal. As a matter of fact, it's one of the biggest damn deals that I've run into in recent memory. These Recoweg products, you can go online and search for Recoweg. To be clear, it is R E C K E W E G. It's all E's. Every vowel is an E. And then there's a CK, Recoweg. And what you search for is Recoweg Remedy List. And you will get a whole list of all of them. But I feel like I kind of interrupted just to put that exclamation point down. You're being told something that's important here. And I'm sorry for interrupting, Fortune. It is my great pleasure. You could never interrupt me because you always have great things to say. And it's my great pleasure to be here to help people uh, that I can never meet and uh, people that I'm not going to have contact with. And I would I, I give you these as gifts because there are people out there that need help, especially at this time, and that uh, I should be asked to come and give my opinion and expertise is also a great honor and great pleasure. But even more than that, uh, these are simple things that are inexpensive. And then you won't, you won't need my help because many of you will be able to do this on your own. And the great thing is that first to know something uh, is out there, you have to know it exists first, and then you have to know where to search for it. Now, as we go on before I talk to you shortly about some very simple remedies, uh, yes, uh, I do come from a very old and prestigious family. And I continue in the tradition of a great, great, great uncle, nine to ten, or ten generations back, who was a great herbalist and homeopath and a great importer of knowledge. But we talk today about the alchemical form of homeopathy and what it can do for you. So for those of you out there, I was trained and schooled in Mexico. And my teacher was a man by the name of Dr. Peter Rothschild. And he was a, a very, very great teacher. He was an impeccably trained scientist, virologist, and immunologist. And that was, uh, I revered that man. He had his own research organization. He was a diplomat and he died in the early 2000s. He was not a member of the Rothschild family. And he was not even Jewish. He was an Orthodox minister. But his expertise and his teachings, he founded his own research society. He founded his own research foundation and trust. He founded his own uh, hospital. He founded his own, uh, his, his own technical research building. And he also founded his own university. And I have to sing the song to Dr. Rothschild because when the AIDS uh, epidemic did hit, he was the only doctor that was able to keep the patients alive. And uh, at that point, my opinion was asked on the situation. And I have the great pleasure of treating, have, have not only been a student, but been a colleague. I became a colleague of my teachers and then wound up teaching teaching my, my teachers and taking care of them in their old age. And we have a doctor in New York City uh, who was named Dr. Sidney Saffron, who carried on immunology, herbology, and homeopathy uh, through the ages when there were very, very few people doing that. And then 
it came about later on and it started getting popular again. And Dr. Saffron was one of the only practitioners in the city at that time. And he was a great scientist himself. And he was a great endocrinologist. He was a great DNA researcher and he could read the DNA charts. He was a great theorist. So uh, I have to take my hat off to the people who taught me, especially the great Dr. Rothschild and the great Dr. Saffron. And they are no longer with us. And now we go to. Uh, simple remedies where all of you can basically help yourself in very, very acute situations. And here we go with simple formulas to help all of you, my friends. All right. Just to make a point before Fortune goes on, uh, Fortune does not accept the mainstream narrative around AIDS. We don't need to get into that. I just know I'm about to see comments. Fortune, are you planning on naming a few of the R products before we get into hour two? Sure. Uh, let's do simple things so that everyone can benefit from this. Now, Recoweg formula number one, that's Dr. Recoweg Corporation, not BHI Heal. So Recoweg formula number one is common cold. Recoweg formula number six is a flu remedy. These are very inexpensive. They're under $10 a bottle. And if you'd like, you can even combine in a amber dropper bottle, Recoweg formula one and six. So you can combine the both of them and you'll have that both cold and flu. Recoweg formula 49 is for sinus and sinus troubles. Recoweg formula number 14 is for sleep and people who have tension problems or have. Uh, forms of stress. So Recoweg formula number 14 is excellent. We can go to the BHI Corporation, which makes Valeriana. And if you want, you can even combine the Valeriana with Recoweg formula 14, and that will give you a double effective anti-stress or a doubly effective sleep formula. So you can do either BHI Valeriana separately or R14 separately, or you can mix both of them together and you just shake the bottle or you vibrate it. And we can also do very simply formula Recoweg 9 is for cough. So if you combine Recoweg formula 1 and 9 in one amber dropper bottle, you'll have something that is very, very beneficial for pneumonia. Now, that one and nine is not per se a pneumonia remedy, but it will help alleviate the symptoms greatly if you catch it early enough. And also, we can go to a product called Acilococcinum, which you can get in any um, homeopathic pharmacy or any naturopathic store. Ask for Acilococcinum that has two remedies in it, and they are both 200C. And when you take that as the flu is coming on, that stops it dead in its tracks. And also, uh, if you want to take like Recoweg Formula 6, if you have the flu, you take it every 15 minutes. And now, uh, when you take a homeopathic formula, you put it under your tongue for one minute. You click your tongue to your palate and just hold the formula there for one minute. And then you swallow down. And in emergency situations, a homeopathic 
can be taken every 15 minutes. And the flu formula is truly a miracle formula. And uh, we have to thank the Rekaweg brothers because uh, they were two fantastic doctors uh, that brought us many, many great formulations. And this is called polypharmacy. So what the Rekaweg brothers did is they gave you six to eight of a certain thing, let's say in the flu remedy, because those were the remedies that worked most of the time for most people. So you take the seven, six, seven, eight formulations, including gelsemium that they have in the flu remedy, which we say is our main flu remedy, just as bichromium is your main sinus remedy, which is in 49. And these kick in as a shotgun effect, as they call it in modern medicine, knowing that one or two or three of these remedies will be the ones you need. And within a few hours, you will feel much, much, much better. And it works even better. So if you know that the flu is coming on and you take it immediately, it will work even faster. All right. We're about at the top of the hour. What Fortune just told you is a huge deal. I hope you appreciate the weight of what was just handed to you. The idea here is when they've done what they need to do, you're done. You're fixed. The other thing I should mention is if you store things like this, these types of remedies in a cool place away from the sun, they're almost always in what's called an amber bottle. They last a long, 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 long time. And lastly, before I begin to wrap up hour one, and we're going to get into Recoweg and other things a lot more in hour two, if you say had tremors in your hands, I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. R36 would be an option there. But what you've got to realize is when you look up the Recoweg list, different websites put different words after the R whatever number. To be clear, the R stands for Recoweg. It'll be R1, R2, R all the way up through all the Recoweg's. They'll tell you, they'll, they'll categorize them for what type of remedy it is. And then they'll put a, a brief description. This is for a flu or the, but look at a couple different ones because the wording changes, which is why I mentioned R36. Anyhow, Jason, anything you want to get in before I wrap up hour one and we get ready for hour two? So I just looked on Amazon and it seems that these are easily readily available. I'm assuming after this show goes out that they won't be for very long. That's what I've been saying to Fortune. Here's the thing, guys. When a show like this one that gets listened to by so many people and reused and passed around, which it does, we get worried that an onslaught for these type of remedies, someone might shut the spigot off. Now, they can't stop it from being made. So what I'm going to tell you is, is if you have to use Amazon, that's cool. But if you have the option to go to source or go to some other thing that's not a giant with censorship capability, that would be a good thing to consider. And they are not expensive. Most of them are under 10 bucks. And by the way, in hour two, I'm going to talk about what Fortune taught me when I'm getting low. So I have a bottle. Hey, Fortune, I'm getting low. What do I do? He taught me how to put that bottle right back up to the shoulder of the bottle. I almost forgot to mention that Fortune has a book on Amazon. And Fortune, will you please tell everyone what name it is published under? Well, some of your listeners found a forgotten book from long ago, and it's called The Twelve Divine Virtues by Fortune Namaste de Saint. Germain, 
And this is for people who have asked about forms. It's rudimentary about alchemy and chakras and meditation. So this is a very, very good, very inexpensive book and a starting place. And thank you to whoever looked this up and found it because this was forgotten on our end. And I just say to everybody, because we have done alchemical episodes, that we remember the credo of the third dimension. Love God with all your heart, serve selflessly, and be all you can be. And uh, now through Crow and some of the uh, listeners uh, who found this book, thank you. And by request, we are posting this so any of you who would like it may order it. And one last thing, let's let everybody know that they are going to want to take notes in hour two. So have a pad and paper or whatever it is you want to use to take notes with for all of the things that Fortune's going to be telling you about. All right. There's hour one with Fortune de St. Germain about homeopathy. Uh, that's hour one of episode 422.5. Even though it's called 0.5, this is a normal episode. There's a first free hour, and there will probably be a little more than an hour on the second half for membership. If you can, catch that second hour. This is a big deal, what you're being told here. In my mind, I could never imagine going back to allopathy ever again. In my mind, what happens is they give you petrochemical-derived drugs, mostly, or chemical-derived drugs, and they go at the symptoms which is your body saying, Hey man, I need help here. And I'm not down with it. What I have seen of homeopathy. I mean, I already knew it, but it's changed my view in cement. Now I could never go back. Anyhow, there's our one of 422.5 with Jason Lindgren and Rose's listening in and fortune to St. Germain. Please catch us in the member area for the full episode, which may be a little more than two hours at crow triple seven radio.com CRR ow777radio.com. And I would like to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing.